Bobby. Bobby. Good morning. Gasper, I so appreciate you being here. Uh, it's sobering. That's probably the word that I would use when we look at what's gone on and what's happening in our nation. It's sobering, particularly in the area of abortion and these things that are going on now. So we need to be in prayer like crazy. We need to be doing as much as we can to further the gospel in this area, in particular the area of abortion, particularly the area of the healing needed in abortion. It's all a part of the gospel. That Jesus came and died on the cross that we might be healed. And that begins, obviously, in our relationship with him, but then it translates into our lives being healed by the good news of what Jesus accomplished for us. So I don't know if, if you're here or you're listening online and you've gone through abortion or, and you, maybe no one, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to say to you that God loves you, wants to heal you. You, are in, you made the image of God. And his, the pain that you feel, he also understands from the standpoint of he died on the cross because he loves you that much. So he wants to restore and heal. So I so appreciate you being here. We're thankful for ministries like that. We need it more than ever in our nation. So would you stand? We're going to be in Philippians again. We're just doing a four-part series called Joyful Community, just gleaning from the book of Philippians. Uh, so we want to continue with our values as far as that goes. So in Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read just parts of it. Beginning in verse 3, Paul, writing to the Philippians, said, I thank my God upon every." Remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. <laughs> We're so thankful for the grace of God. But, verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So, Lord, we, we love your word. And we're thankful that you've preserved it for us. You inspired it. And these things that we're reading are, are the actual words of God. 
And every time we read it, every time we hear it, every time we listen, Lord, you are wanting to speak to us concerning who you are and the work that you want to accomplish in and through us for the sake of the kingdom of God. We love you, Lord. We pray your blessing over the things I prepared. That you break them fresh, Lord. We're hungry. Feed us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, Lord, you send out your word and you heal them. We're praying, again, just for this whole Sunday here, just taking focus. But we pray for the healing, even right now, as we're in the word, that your truth would be penetrating in those areas. And you, Lord, said you didn't come. <laughs> you came to heal us. And so I pray that would be taking place in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So uh, up on the front here, there's the bowl, and I'm going to continue to ask you, you have the prayer requests on your chair, and I, what my hope is as we go through these different uh, four uh, Sundays that you can put as many as you want in there. These will be prayed for throughout 2021, probably four or five times at least, personally by one person, and so if there's another thing that comes up as God's speaking to us through the word this morning, then write it down and come up and put it in the bowl. We'll take some time after to do that. So this morning... As we're going through this, the book of Philippians was written by Paul the Apostle while he was chained in prison in Rome. The interesting thing is about the book is it's very personal, one of the most personal letters he wrote, but he wrote it overflowing with joy. Go, wow, okay? Joy is not the absence of problems. Joy is the awareness, and I love, a few things you shared this morning are going to tie right in. But joy is the awareness of the presence of God in the problems. So happiness is contingent on what is happening around me. Joy is knowing God is with me, that he shows up. Joy, C.S. Lewis wrote, joy is not a possession, but a reminder, a pointer to something other, something Outer, he wrote, unquote. For the Christian, that other is the presence of God in our lives. Like Jacob at Bethel, we just got done studying Genesis. He awoke from his sleep. He saw this ladder. He awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He said, man, this place is awesome. This is the house of God. The awareness of God's presence, like Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. Do you know where Jesus is sitting? The right hand of the Father. At your right hand in Christ. Jude chapter 24. We met, memorized the book of Jude last year. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with what? Exceeding joy. To God our Savior. Personalize it. Who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and how long? Forever and then, amen. So the goal of this series, as I was preparing, is to make a list, then check it twice, <laughs> of joyful community values and walk, that can walk us through this next year. Last week, number one, we get past ourselves. It's one of our values. In other words, it's the joy of thinking more about you than about me. Not that we don't think about ourselves, but the joy comes when I'm thinking more about you than I am and less about me. And I'll tell you, we all know that. It gets a lot more joyful when we're not focused on ourselves. <laughs> we got so many problems. 
<laughs> anyway. Secondly, we talk to God. In other words, it's the joy of praying for you and you for me. Paul mentions that several times. This morning, I want to look at one, another value. We love the gospel. We love the gospel. It's the joy that we are saved and others can be too. We have been saved through the gospel and others can be too. So I want to look at that this morning. The gospel, we love the gospel. This two-word couplet, the gospel, is found nine times in the book of Philippians. So I want to glean from that a little bit in three areas. Number one, we love our fellowship in the gospel. Paul writes that. We just read it. In the gospel, we are all partakers of the grace of God. You got to say amen. amen. God's riches at Christ's expense. We receive what we did not deserve. Secondly, in the gospel, we are all saved by grace. From the first day, Paul wrote, until now, and not only then, forever. We are saved by grace. And that's our fellowship. It's in the grace of God. Third, in the gospel, we all are his good work of grace. In other words, he started it. He's going to complete it. Now, one thing for me, I hate unfinished projects. And so does God. He started, he's going to finish it. So Ephesians. In him, we have redemption. He started it. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of what? His grace. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God came and put his mark on you. He said, you're mine. Sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He goes on, chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, even when we're dead in trespass and sin, God started it. In fact, I tell the Lord, you know, you chose me, so I'm your problem. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly place in Christ, that in the ages to come, here we go, we're going we're gonna, to, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his, here it is, poema. We're his workmanship, created where? In Christ Jesus, for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He started it, he's going to finish it. I say, praise the Lord. That's our fellowship in the gospel. We love our fellowship in the gospel. Partake of his grace, saved by grace. Good works of God by grace. Secondly, the gospel. We love God furthering the gospel and using us to do it. In other words, God's taking our lives as shattered and broken as they might be. We have this, this treasure in earthen vessels that the glory may not be of us but, of, but to God. We're walking around in these little vessels and God is going to use our lives to further the good news. And he is doing that. Now you might think, well, I don't know how he's doing it. 
hey, listen, there have been so many times where I'm, I'm shocked that something I did actually impacted someone. But you see, I understand it's the treasure in this earthen vessel. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's Jesus having saved me, now hopefully praying that the light shines. And God can do that even when we think there's no way. And so, the thing which happened to me, Paul, my chains are no accident. Because with God, there are no accidents. He says, the things that happened to me, my chains, as it turns out, are actually advancing the gospel. He says, the things which happened to me, my chains, as it turns out, have actually given me an audience that I would have never had before. And for him, it was the whole palace guard, all the Roman, and they're hearing Paul, they're with Paul, some chained to him, and they're hearing. So God gave him an audience he would have never had before. In fact, Paul in prison wrote many of his letters. We are the recipients of God landing him in prison so he could write. He says, the things which happened to me, my chains, as it turns out, have actually released, listen, have actually released most of the brethren from fear. They've ignited in them. My chains have actually ignited in my brethren confidence and boldness. So now, he says there, they're speaking the word without fear. He says, the things which happen to me, no matter how selfish the ambitions, no matter how difficult their hostility toward me, even in my chains, like like, like they're merciless, are a cause for me to rejoice and I will rejoice. Because as it turns out, the things which happen to me are an appointment by God. God made an appointment for me to be there. And as I'm there and they're seeing the the palace guard, they're seeing my chains, they're seeing my joy, realizing I'm not chained, the gospel's not chained, God's word's not chained. I am, yes, physically, but God's doing a lot of things. And they're seeing those things. So this appointment was for the defense of the gospel. That's what Paul said. What does that mean? It's an appointment that God made to show by example what the furthering of the gospel is not. It's not these things. It's not envy. It's not strife. It's not selfish ambitions. Yet that's what some of them were doing to try and get to Paul even Get, get, sort of get on his, whatever. He's saying the furthering the gospel is very simply, the furthering the gospel is love. It's love. It's goodwill. It's truth. It's joy. So this appointment, this defense of the gospel, we'll talk more about this in, in next week. He's saying, God put me there. You know, we talk about divine appointments. We can walk through a day and realize that every appointment that we have, every interaction is a divine one because God is with us. And the gospel in us is giving us audience and opportunity. And it gives us things that God has put there. And oh, how it changes the perspective when you begin thinking, wow, God is with me here. This isn't an accident. Now, the third thing is we love the faith of the gospel. Paul points that out. 
He says, strive ye together for the faith of the gospel. We love the gospel. We love the faith of the gospel. What is that? The faith that stands fast as one. Now, we've talked about a lot about, a lot about this. That we, may, if we, we need to continue endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. Jesus prayed that they may be one. They'll know his disciples by the love we have for one another. And so the faith of the gospel is the faith that stands fast as one in the gospel. It means we strive together, one spirit, one mind. It means we suffer together. Paul says having the same conflict. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week because suffering is one of those things that, I don't know about you, I hate to suffer. I don't like it. Now, anyone here like that? (laughs) God is not expecting me to like it. What he's wanting is to show me how he loves me. And not only but others. So we'll talk about this next week as another one of our values. The faith also that serves with one another or labors together. Paul points Timothy out. Timothy, serving with Timothy. In chapter 4, verse 3, Clement also, he says, they labored with me. So the faith of the gospel stands fast as one in the gospel. We strive together. We suffer together. We serve together. We labor together. We love the faith of the gospel. We love the gospel. Now, in the, the hundred plus times that you find in the New Testament, the word gospel, with little exception, the word preach is alongside it. Now, it may not be in the same verse, but in the same context. It's amazing. It's overwhelming. So to preach means to herald. It means to proclaim. I think we could put it in our vernacular and say, to share. To announce. So what is the gospel? It means it's the good news. And God is good. That's why it's the good news. So let's look at what the gospel is this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this. Moreover, brother, I declare to you, what? The gospel. Which I, what? Preach to you. Same verse. Which you also received, and by which you stand, in which also you are saved if you hold fast. In other words, there's no other gospel. You must hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ, here it is, here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Powerful. That he was buried. In other words, he was dead. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This was not some, well, what am I going to do now? God's he's on the cross. What am I? No, no, no. This whole gospel thing was something that God himself initiated. Right at the beginning of man's sin. And that he was, and he rose again the third day, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then it says, he was seen, he was seen, he was seen, he was seen. Now it's evidence beyond question. He was alive for 40 days, walking among, showing himself to 500 at once, and to Cephas. And then Paul says, and then to me. So it's fabulous. Because the gospel is the good news, and Paul 
the apostle was Saul of Tarsus who wanted nothing to do with Jesus. So he said, and then he appeared to me on the road to Damascus. And he appeared to me as one born out of due time. As one aborted, almost. Like Paul said, I shouldn't even be alive. But Jesus appeared to me. Who was, I, who was hating Christians, hated Jesus. And, and Jesus appeared to me. Do you remember when Jesus appeared to you? Life changer. So Romans, what is the gospel? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be, no, you will be saved. Verse 13, for whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they, how, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? In other words, it needs to be communicated, preached. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good news, glad tidings of good things. We love the gospel. We understand simply we are to proclaim it, preach it, share it. Why is it then, even though we love the gospel of our salvation, we love the good news. We love Jesus supremely. Why is it we, when we wholeheartedly rejoice that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. Why is it that we know most assuredly that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes? Why is it that whenever we endeavor to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to announce the, the gospel, that we experience resistance? Why is that? Whether from within or from without, here's what I say, take heart. We're in good company. Paul the apostle, writing to the Corinthians, wrote this. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, now when did they come to Macedonia? When they came to Philippi. And had the vision, heads over, winds up in Philippi. When we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Notice, outside were conflicts, inside were what? Fears. Paul the apostle? Yes, Paul the apostle. So why this resistance? Number one, spiritual hosts of wickedness are opposed to the gospel. The devil is a master at keeping that hidden himself. So Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Finding my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stick. Stand against what? The wiles of the devil. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. These are powerful demonic beings. Against rulers of darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, again, take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand and in an evil day Stand. We're going to come back to this in a moment. Second Corinthians. Spiritual hosts of wickedness. 
Verse chapter 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God should shine, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. Brothers and sisters, the reason there's resistance is because we have someone who hides in the shadows and seeks to keep people blinded to what God's done. We've got to keep that at the forefront of our battles. That's what we talked a little bit this morning about that. About a couple of those things. Just the area of demonic um, resistance. Therefore, take hold that you may be able to withstand. Second Corinthians, our gospel is veiled. Veiled those he's blind who do not, lest they should see the, glory, the light of the glory of the gospel. Who is in the image of God should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves. That's the problem. <laughs> We got to get the light on the right person. We do not preach ourselves. I can't help you. But Christ and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. I'm here because of Jesus. I'm here because I want to help you in Christ. For it is God, not me, it's God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We got to get people face to face with Christ for that light's needed. So the spiritual host of wickedness, why resistance? Secondly, the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. For many different reasons, Fear easily masters us. It's pervasive. Everyone deals with it to some degree or another. It can manifest itself in different ways. I think one of the major ones is excuses. But then there's reluctance that comes up. Then there's the what ifs that come up. Then there's I'm too young, I'm too old, and all these things that go on. I'm talking in context of the gospel. Now listen, the big names, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all dealt with fear. And God said, don't you be afraid of their faces. Don't you be afraid of their insults. You, you speak my word. I'm going to put it in your right. You speak it. You tell them. Don't be afraid of man who will die. <laughs> That's a poignant little thing, isn't it? Why are you afraid of, you know, the fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts the Lord shall be safe. And Jesus even said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but after they can do nothing. Fear him who wants the body's dead can send you to hell. No, but fear God. And often the fear of man can so eclipse our fear of God. Jeremiah, oh, I can't, I'm, I'm young. I want to exhort all of you young men and women. If you know Jesus Christ, then God will enable you to speak his word with boldness. You can be used by him to make the light shine. 
Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He said, stir up the gifts that are in you. He said, I know your genuine faith. It's in you and your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I know, Paul saying to Timothy, who was his, pro, his disciple, his son in the faith. He mentioned him often, even in Philippians. He loved Timothy. But Timothy had these same things, these same fears. So he said, I want you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me the sufferings next week for the gospel. He saved us with a holy calling. So the spirit of fear can be another hindrance, another resistance. But then the third one, it's the manner of spirit that will be resisted by those listening. In other words, to preach is not to be preachy. To come across in a condescending manner. And Jesus had to deal with this with his disciples. Going to Samaria, the Samaritan village. And it says they did not receive him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, I can tell you, you know, this whole year has had that same thought in my mind. Can I just call down fire and consume them? I'm not talking about you or the church, okay? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I think what's going on here is they went to the other village. Jesus said, okay, look, let's go there and try it again. Your attitude is not God's heart. And that can be a tremendous resistance from those listening. That we have the right spirit. So it's get past yourself. Talk to God. Love the gospel and then try it again. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Just as written, the just shall live by faith. We all come by faith in the gospel. We're saved by faith. And thus we can't be boasting. We can't have attitudes about someone who has not yet come. Rather, we'll say, hey, I'll tell you. I'm just one beggar telling another where to get bread. I'm just giving to you the message. So don't kill the messenger. I'm just telling you what God said. So how do we overcome this resistance? Number one, very simply. Take God at his word and preach the gospel. Take God at his word and preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Note that. Paul said that. He did not send me to baptize. In other words, baptism is not necessary for salvation. It's a picture of what's happened in salvation. There's no such thing as baptismal regeneration. It's just, it's declaring, it's proclaiming. So I... But to, I think that's a, a really important verse if you talk to someone. Paul said it right there. He did not say, but to preach the gospel. In other words, okay. Not with the wit. Now notice what he says. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. The cross is the message that God has given to us through his son that we can be saved. It's foolish as those who are perishing, but to... Those who are being saved, it is the power of God, as it is written. 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who be. In other words, it does, whoever you're speaking to that does not know Christ is going to hear it like this is really? That's ridiculous. That's foolish. So, how does this work? It's very simple. God. Very simple. How does this thing work? God said it. So take his word and preach it. Declare it. Share it. Take the gospel against the gates of hell. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying an authority has been given to us as believers in Christ Jesus in his name to unlock and set prisoners free through the gospel. That Jesus is a son of God. It's in the context of that passage there. Where who do men say that I am? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And I'm going to tell you, Peter, you're this little pebble. But on this rock that Jesus is son of God, savior of the world, and he is the one who saves us from our sin because he went to the cross, died, rose again, third day, and ascended to heaven. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech. This is Paul the apostle. Or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony. Now, we have a lot of enamor for articulate in all these, and we... But the gospel isn't like that. Paul said, I came to you not with excellence of speech, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul is on a mission. He's on a one-tracked mind, tracked, T-R-A-C-T. He's given out gospel tracts and just says, here's the deal. Jesus died on a cross for you. And the Holy Spirit, comes alongside that gospel message. We'll talk about that in a moment. So it says there, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was not eloquent, but let me tell you what he had. He was determined. One track mind. Ephesians, therefore take up the whole armor of God. That he may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Oh, no, I got that wrong. Take up the whole armor of God that he may be able to, stand, be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore. Now, I want you to notice something. Having, or it's already done. Having girded your waist with truth. Having the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of what? The gospel of peace. In other words, we can't go barefoot in enemy territory. He's equipped us so that we can walk confidently, boldly into these, these arenas with the gospel. And stand. 
Above all now, having, 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 above all, taking the shield of faith with which you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. When we're talking about resistance, we're talking about these lies. The devil is going to continue throwing the, the darts out. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication for all the saints. Now here's an interesting thing Paul said. And for me, that I may open my mouth boldly, that I make known the mystery of the gospel that God gave me. Paul himself battled resistance. Paul himself had fears. Paul himself had all these things. But take the gospel against the gates of hell through the armor that God's given to us in our salvation. So, secondly, trust the Holy Spirit. How do we overcome these resistance? Trust the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, but now I'm going, I'm going away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me where you're going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So he's getting ready to be, a, to be crucified, rise again, and go to heaven. And his disciples are hearing all these things, and they are really sad. And I would have been too, and so would you. You're leaving us? Where, where are you going? They didn't get it. They didn't connect. But Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage they go away. If I would not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because not believing me, the gospel. Of righteousness because I go to the heaven and you see me no more. In other words, the righteousness that God required was only met in Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was sufficient. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. It's, it's fi- done. Fini. Finished. So he's saying the Holy Spirit will convict the world of these things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. I love that verse. I fall back on it all the time. Who is supposed to be the one winning the soul? I'm the one that are preaching a message. I'm the message. I'm coming with the gospel. I'm telling people. I'm bringing the word of God. The truth's there. And the Holy Spirit will back up the word of God every time. And he's working in people's hearts behind the scenes as far as even aware of it. Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus. The Holy Spirit's working on his heart when he watches Philip being stoned, Stephen being stoned and killed. They're laying their garments at the feet of one named Saul. He couldn't get away from that. So God said, Jesus, when he met him on the road to Mass, said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against what you saw. It's hard for you, the truths that you've been hearing, you just can't, you can't really process them, Saul, because they're coming against everything that you don't want to know. Trust the Holy Spirit. He will do these things. And then finally, take heart. Take to heart the heart of God. Take to heart the heart of God. The spiritual host of wickedness, take God of this word, preach the gospel, the gospel against the gates of hell. The spirit of fear, trust the Holy Spirit. Third, The manner of spirit, take heart to the heart of God. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9. He went about, it says of Jesus, he went about all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, so listen, He is doing everything you could possibly imagine as far as healing people's lives physically, providing for them physically, 
He went about doing all these things, but that wasn't the need that Jesus really came for. I mean, he did all those things to demonstrate who he is. But when he saw the multitude, how did he see them? How do we see them? He was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered. Like sheep having no shepherd. He was moved by that. That's the heart of God. He sees people as weary and shepherdless. Everyone who does not know him, everyone who can't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of right. They don't know that. They don't know the great good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. And Jesus looks at them and says, oh, oh, how I want to gather you as the great shepherd. Revelation says when we're in heaven, we'll wipe away every tear because Jesus is going to shepherd us even there. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's the heart of God. Jesus said in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not, do you not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. And his disciples are going, I just went into town. We just went into town to get a meal. What are you talking about? He said, this is why I'm here, to finish a work, to finish and complete that I've been sent for. Take heart, the heart of Jesus for all the weary, shepherdless people. Take to heart the joy in heaven over just one sinner who repents. So we have the manner of spirit that's, resi- that, that's not, we got, we got to take to heart the heart of God. Jesus, and you know this, this, this uh, chapter well, many of you, uh, Luke 15, the parables of the lost. He starts out with saying, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him and to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has Finished, when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders. Listen, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, Jesus, heart of God, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 just persons who need no repentance. That's the heart of God. He goes on to talk about one lost coin out of ten. And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, rejoice with me, for I have found this, the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there, will be, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And the final one, it's one of my life passages, because it's what happened to me, is one son of two, the prodigal. Some of you here are prodigals. And the prodigal goes out, wastes his, his father's inheritance in riotous living, comes to his sense that I got to get back to my father. I got to get back 
home. And he arose and came to his father, verse 20. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, oh no. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and alive again. He was lost and found. And they began to make merry. And then his, his brother, his other son. It's interesting. He doesn't say one sinner repents in this one at all. There are two brothers there that needed the same thing. To realize. Every, every single human being. To realize. There's a need in my heart that the world will never be able to meet. And the heart of God is to see us coming and throw open the doors of his heart, embrace and honor and say, yeah. He was dead, he's alive. He was lost and he's found. That's the heart of God. Can we pray? Lord, we bow our hearts before you and we thank you so much for your word. We ask in Jesus' name for those that are here and those that are watching as we've laid out the gospel, as, Lord, we've considered your heart. We know, Lord, the gospel is a power, your power unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so if you're watching, you're here this morning, we're just gonna take this time just to pray and ask God to, to continue to draw you to Jesus Christ if you've never come to that place of calling on the name of the Lord, of repentance and faith toward God that you might be saved. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as we're going to sing this song, I just want to take this, this song just to kind of take our hearts to God and the things we've heard to ask him to minister to us. And we're doing this just because we have such little time to stop just for two or three minutes and consider the voice of God, the things of God, our hearts before God, our relationship with God. So as we take this first song, and during the song or after, we, we'll, we'll also continue for one more song here just to be with the Lord if that's your need this morning. If you want prayer, we'll go through this first song just ourselves with God. But if you want prayer, when the second song begins, you come up, we'll pray for you. We're going to ask you, too, if there's anything on that prayer request, just come before you leave and put it in a bowl so we can continue to add to that. Amen? Let's do it.